Welcome to BNN Tax Snacks, a podcast from Baker Newman & Noyes covering timely and impactful federal and state tax developments affecting our clients, friends, and other listeners. I'm Mike Stillings, Director of Tax Services at BNN. As this most unusual year draws to a close, the next several episodes of BNN Tax Snacks will cover a number of topics directly related to the pandemic and the tax law changes it set in motion. In addition, while the Biden administration is set to be sworn into office in January, we do not know whether the upper chamber of Congress will be held by the president's own party or his opposition party. This leaves us with a somewhat foggy tax planning landscape and many unknowns facing taxpayers beginning in 2021. In this series, we will discuss the impact of these changes and potential changes and what they mean to individual taxpayers as well as businesses. Suffice it to say, we've got a lot to cover, so let's talk taxes. Hi, listeners. I'm Joe Jalbert, BNN Assurance Principal, and I'm here with my colleague, Matthew Landon, a senior manager in our tax practice. Hi, Matt. Hey, Joe. I'm excited to be here today. Me too. Today, we're discussing a topic that's been on business owners' minds all year, Paycheck Protection Program. As we're approaching the end of 2020, Matt and I are going to talk about some things that borrowers in the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP as it's known, should be thinking about from both a tax planning perspective and from an accounting perspective. We've got a lot to cover, so let's dive in. Matt, I want to start on the tax side. Sure, Joe. Fire away. What are the tax reporting implications for a PPP borrower? I know we got some recent guidance from the IRS. Yeah, to start with, um, just by way of some background, uh, PPP borrowers are allowed to use the proceeds from the loan to pay certain expenses, such as payroll, rent, utilities, uh, pretty much to help them offset some of their operating costs that they'd incurred through, you know, throughout the pandemic. And if expended appropriately, the loans would ultimately be forgiven. The costs that are eligible for loan forgiveness would start basically on the loan origination date, which is first measured by the eight-week period and had been expanded to the 24-week period under the FLEX Act. Loan forgiveness can be reduced if the business either failed to keep employees on a full-time equivalent basis or if it had a reduction in wages. Now, it's important to remember under general tax principles a business loan that's forgiven by a lender would often result in a taxable event. But there was a special provision carved out in the CARES Act that specifically excluded loan forgiveness from the recipient's gross income for tax purposes in this case. And while the CARES Act did exclude the loan forgiveness from gross income, the Act didn't address whether the tax deductions were going to be allowed as a result of the payment of those expenses. So in response, the IRS took the position that if the loan cancellation didn't result in taxable income, then the corresponding expenses shouldn't give rise to a tax deduction. And this position was laid out in a series of guidance that was recently released by the IRS. They had reasoned that if uh, this income was effectively tax exempt, then the expenses associated with it should effectively be disallowed under Section 265, preventing a double tax benefit uh, from an area to the taxpayers. Now, in terms of the recent guidance, uh, the IRS published Revenue Procedure 2020-51, and that provided a safe harbor procedure to claim deduction in the 2020 tax year for expenses that were paid or incurred using the PPP funds. Um, and that's if either it's expected that the loan forgiveness will be partially or fully denied by the lender, or if the taxpayer chooses not to pursue a loan forgiveness for expenses that might otherwise be eligible. 
in order to qualify for that safe harbor, you'd need to attach a statement to your tax return with the required information for the period that the loan expenses were going to be deducted. So what are some of the options that are available to businesses that are expecting full forgiveness or perhaps anticipate some level of repayment being necessary? Well, the IRS had released additional guidance through Revenue Ruling 2020-27, which provided some examples of compliance options that are available to taxpayers. To begin, if there's a reasonable expectation of forgiveness, then no deduction is going to be allowed. Unfortunately, the IRS hasn't defined what constitutes a quote-unquote reasonable expectation. In the IRS's example, the taxpayer had satisfied all requirements under Section 1106 of the CARES Act for forgiveness of the covered loan, but the lender had not yet informed the taxpayer whether the loan will be forgiven prior to the end of 2020. It indicates that reimbursement in the form of covered loan forgiveness was foreseeable and the otherwise deductible expenses should therefore be allocated to tax-exempt income. It stands in noticeable contrast to the longstanding principle of the tax benefit rule, which allows a taxpayer a deduction if at the time of the filing of the return, no event has occurred up to that point to render the expenses non-deductible. In this case, it seems that event would hinge upon the issuance of the forgiveness determination by the lender. Thus, if forgiveness was actually denied during the 2020 taxable year, the deduction would take place in the year of the related expenditures, which would have been 2020. But if that forgiveness is sought and later denied after the current tax year, say in 2021, the taxpayer has two options to claim the deductions. They can either amend their previously filed 2020 tax return or leave it as filed and subsequently deduct those expenses in the 2021 tax year, which may provide a tax timing opportunity. At any rate, at least it takes away some sense of urgency from taxpayers who may have been scrambling to get a portion of their PPP loans forgiven prior to year-end in order to secure some form of tax advantage. Uh, sometimes being the first in line uh, has proven to backfire. Uh, one example of this is uh, the PPP loans that were issued prior to June 5th are actually saddled with a two-year maturity, while loans issued after June 5th are afforded a five-year maturity. So in terms of a credit facility uh, with potentially deductible interest at a rate of only 100 basis points, it's likely to be the best short money around for small businesses if some part of that loan isn't ultimately forgiven. And are there any considerations PPP recipients should be evaluating in light of the changing political landscape? Good question. You know, many, many members of Congress have expressed their concern that the position taken up by the IRS is contrary to the intent of the program. Uh, they feel that the PPP expenses should be deductible as an added stimulus to businesses that have been so hard hit by the pandemic. Uh, the position seems to have bipartisan support from many legislators, but the question remains whether any action will be taken timely enough to have an impact. You know, another consideration uh, that's in the mix is the likelihood of passing another tax reform bill, which may eliminate tax cuts that were enacted through the TCJA. These key upcoming Senate races in Georgia may open the door to another round of tax reform. I think the general consensus here uh, among tax advisors and practitioners is that we're currently at historically low uh, tax rates, but those rates are slated to increase under the Biden administration. The new administration's tax proposal includes raising some corporate tax rates from 21% to 28%, as well as reestablishing a top marginal tax rate of 39.6% on incomes over 400000 This may play into the calculus 
of the income acceleration versus deferral decision, uh, potentially paying tax now at lower rates uh, and pushing deductions out to 2021 when the loan forgiveness determination is made. Another currently unanswered question is whether there's an ordering rule that decides which qualifying expenses are eliminated for deduction purposes. An ancillary effect of reducing deductible expenses may be that uh, resulting increase to an amount of income, uh, which gives you a Section 199A or 20% qualified business income deduction benefit. While this may benefit certain taxpayers, a reduction to payroll expenses, um, say as opposed to rent or utilities, may also have the effect of reducing qualifying W-2 wages that may be allocable to a trade or business activity. And that's also an important function of the QBI determination. So again, it's just another important reason that you really need to get in touch with your tax advisor and get them involved in the process as soon as possible. That's always good advice. Reach out to your advisors when you have questions. There's no shortage of complexity when it comes to this program. That's absolutely right, Joe. So Joe, from an accounting perspective, how should borrowers treat their PPP loans? Yeah, and when this program was first rolled out back in March, I think a lot of people were uh, of the expectation that this is something that would be over and done with by the end of this year. Uh, but then when you look back in June when they passed the PPP Flexibility Act, it made it so that it's more likely that forgiveness decisions aren't going to be issued by the SBA before the end of the year, and more of them will be issued into 2021 or maybe even to 2022. So what happens is it's creating a disconnect between when qualifying expenses are recognized and when the forgiveness determination is being made. So recognizing this, the AICPA and its Center for Plain English Accounting have issued a series of white papers that provide guidance on borrowers accounting for PPP loans. And they basically identified four different models that borrowers could ap apply uh, depending on their facts and circumstances. The first model is the debt model under Accounting Standards Codification or ASC 470 which uh, basically requires borrowers to recognize the PPP loan as debt until they're legally released as the primary obligor. So in other words, uh, until the SBA has approved forgiveness or the loan has been paid off, as the case may be. So as you can imagine, this results in a longer derecognition timeline than some of these other models that we're going to be talking about. But it's also the most objective model, and it's a model that a borrower can use regardless of the situation. The second model that was identified by the AICPA is the not-for-profit revenue recognition model, also known as the conditional contribution model under ASC 958-605. And to be clear, although this guidance was written for not-for-profit entities, for-profit entities can apply this guidance as well, as long as they feel it's the most appropriate given their facts and circumstances. So under this guidance, the borrower de-recognize the liability as qualifying expenses are being incurred and when program conditions are substantially met. And an important piece of this guidance is that a borrower is not able to project whether conditions will be met, only whether they've been substantially met at a given point in time. And a borrower would also need to consider all of the conditions and whether they're substantially met, with emphasis being on the most restrictive conditions. So if you think about a borrower that has uh, FTE or salary and wage reduction considerations, um, those are often the most restrictive conditions when it comes to the PPP. So those are some things that they'll need to keep in mind when determining whether or not this is the most appropriate model under their circumstances. 
The next model that was identified is the gain contingency model under ASC 450-30. And under this model, the borrower would initially record the loan as a liability, and derecognition of that liability would not occur until realization of the gain has been realized or realizable. So in the case of this program, a gain would not be recognized until all forgiveness uncertainties have been resolved. In other words, it would be close to when the formal forgiveness actually takes place. So if you compare this to the debt model, I think the timeline of derecognition is going to be pretty consistent with that model as well. One important note on this model is that it is not considered an appropriate model for not-for-profit entities. Uh, the other issue with this model is that if you look at the guidance under ASC 450-30, it provides a lot less specificity on disclosure, measurement, and recognition requirements. And that's why this is really not considered to be the preferred accounting policy. However, it is still a model that borrowers could consider as long as they feel it's the most appropriate model given their facts and circumstances. The fourth and final model that's been identified is actually from guidance that's under the international accounting standards known as IAS 20, which is the accounting for government grants. And under this model, when there's reasonable assurance that the borrower will meet the terms for forgiveness, the loan would be treated as a government grant. And when you think about reasonable assurance, think about that as being more or less analogous to probable under US GAAP. And so under this model, this actually allows the borrower to project the likelihood of meeting the conditions for forgiveness. So the borrower would recognize this as a government grant on a systematic basis over periods that the related expenses are recognized. Uh, now they have two ways of presenting this. Uh, they could present this as other income or as a reduction of the related expenses. And so if you think about this and the borrower's ability to project the likelihood of meeting the conditions over future periods, it's typically going to result in an earlier derecognition timeline than some of these other models that we're talking about. However, it is obviously more subjective and it's potentially difficult to support for a larger loan. So if you're a larger borrower that has FTE reduction, salary and wage reduction considerations, this might not be the most appropriate model for you. And similar to the gain contingency model under ASC 450-30, this model is not appropriate for not-for-profit entities. So Joe, how does a borrower determine which model to apply? Like a lot of things, it really depends on the borrower's facts and circumstances. The first model we talked about, which is the debt model under ASC 470, is really considered to be a safe harbor model that any PPB borrower could apply regardless of their facts and circumstances. Other than that, if you're a not-for-profit entity, again, there are two models, the gain contingency model under ASC 450-30 and the accounting for government grant model under IAS 20, which are not considered appropriate models. So if you're a not-for-profit entity, you're really choosing between the debt model under ASC 470 and the not-for-profit revenue recognition model under ASC 958-605. And if there's any uncertainty as to which model is most appropriate under your facts and circumstances, you should just discuss it with your advisor as to what you think is most appropriate. One concern many borrowers are having is that uh, the PPP loan may put them in violation of their debt covenants. What would you suggest in this case? Yeah, this is a question we get a lot. And I think it's just really important to maintain a dialogue with your lender. There's a good chance that you received your PPP loan from your lender that you're normally accustomed to dealing with, and they know your financial situation extremely well. And regardless of the accounting model that you apply here, 
I think the substance of what's taking place here is essentially the same. Uh, you've got a loan that in many cases, borrowers expect to be either partially or fully forgiven. And so I would think that many lenders will take that into consideration uh, when they're looking at any uh, potential violations of debt covenants. And if you do think that that is going to be an issue, as I said, just make sure that you're having that conversation with your lender to understand what are some ways that you could potentially resolve that issue. Thanks for shedding some light on that, Joe. That really is on the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Of course. You're very welcome. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Matt, thank you for such a great discussion. Oh, you're very welcome, Joe. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of BNN Tax Snacks. I hope you found the discussion helpful and are walking away feeling a bit more informed. Again, this episode is part of a series discussing year-end tax planning issues at the end of this unprecedented year. Check out our other episodes, which are available at bnncpa.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Baker Newman Noise. The information contained in this episode is based on data available as of the date of its release. BNN is under no obligation to update this information as changes occur. BNN podcasts, events, and publications are intended to provide general information to our clients and friends. It does not constitute accounting, tax, or legal advice, nor is it intended to convey a thorough treatment of the subject matter. The information in this podcast may or may not apply to your individual situation. Consult a tax professional for help applying these concepts to your personal circumstances. Please contact Baker Newman Noise for additional assistance at info at bnncpa.com. More information can be found online at bnncpa.com.